Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Aaron is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Aaron Peterson. Thanks for tuning in to the second half of my conversation with David Reed of Vail Resorts. In part one, we heard about his shattered Olympic dreams, his short accounting career leading to graduate school, and almost three decades at Accenture. We had so much to talk about, but there's more, so let's jump in. Here's part two of Big Fish in the Talent Pool with David Reed. I'm really curious to know what percent of your work, and I know it's hard to gauge, but just try and gauge it for me. What percent of your work is strategic versus tactical? Because I think every head of talent acquisition has to spend some time in each, and we all aspire to be more strategic, but I'm just curious, how, how do you find your day splits up? Well, the goal I set for myself is to be 100% strategic and work from there. And <clears throat> the way that works out is um, I'm very goal-oriented, and so goals remain at the forefront of sort of what the way I prioritize my days. That's part one of it. Part two of it is um, I have brought in people who work with me who are primarily focused on the tactical side of things, people who I trust. Um, and so where I come into the tactical side of things is really through them. Um, and so that's how I try to set my days up. Stay very goal-oriented. What's the main thing that we're trying to accomplish here? And then I have people who help keep me focused on the strategic side of things. I also have relationships with um, business leaders who have the expectation that I focus on the strategic. Um, And so it helps to know that they support my focus on that as much as I want to be in that space. Now, we're still a relatively small company. We're New York Stock Exchange listed, um, but every one of us is a player coach. And so what I find myself doing is walking the floor, traveling to our resorts, talking with people, uh, and that's where I get myself right back into the tactical, which I also enjoy um, because that's what I've chosen as my career. Um, But that's more by choice than it is by sort of getting dragged into um, sort of the day-to-day. Okay, and so on that note, if you want to focus on the main thing, what is the main thing for you right now? Well, the main thing for us right now is getting our mountain staffed. Uh, So the main thing is hiring those 25,000 people over the course of three months so that our guests have an experience of a lifetime. And so you multiply that end result of 25,000 hires back up through all of the activities that have to occur in order for that to uh, succeed. Um, That's where we're spending a lot of time tactically, clearly, but also strategically. Um, And so, um, you know, one of the things my team and I are looking at is, well, if our goal is to staff the mountains, does it actually mean that we have to hire 25,000 people? Or if we were better at this, could we hire maybe 24,000 people? Wait a minute. You're a recruiter and you want to hire fewer people? Tell me more about that. So, Um, As you can imagine, with the seasonal workforce, there's a fair amount of waste that's built into the process. People accept an offer, and then they don't show up. People show up, but then they don't stay. People stay through a season, but then they don't return for the next season. All of those moments of truth represent opportunities for us 
to actually take out volume from our equation rather than add to it. So that's an example of how one of our mantras is recruit fewer, (laughs) (laughs) not more, more, fewer. And it's a little counterintuitive, right? Until you, you know, deconstruct that a little bit. So as recruiters, we're finding ourselves to be more engaged in some of these non-recruiting things so that we're more effective as recruiters and the business is more effective at what it ultimately is trying to do. So whereas with many talent acquisition organizations, volume equals job security, (laughs) in your particular case, you're sort of... uh, tasking your folks to become more efficient, more effective, hire the right people instead of just hiring a lot of people and seeing what falls out. Okay. So what are your, what are your most important metrics? Well, from a seasonal um, hiring perspective where the volume is, it's, as you point out, Aaron, all about efficiency. Um, And so our metrics there, our primary metric is really around staffed percent. So if let's take Vail Mountain as an example, It's about 4,000 people who run that operation. If we're at 4,000 people, great. If we're at 3,500 people, not so great. So our ability to achieve adequate staffing levels, percent staffed, is our main metric on that side. On the corporate side, uh, our main metric is time to fill. Now the problem with these metrics, as much as I love metrics, I'm an accountant, right? I'm all about data. They're lagging metrics. Uh, And so it's too late once you see the result to do anything about it. And so that's another area of strategic focus for us is what are the key leading metrics that we need to focus on in order to achieve those lagging outcomes? Um, And so from a leading metric perspective, um, on the seasonal side, it turns out one of our key metrics is responsiveness of hiring managers. Hiring managers are people who are running the mountains. So they're out there. It's a beautiful morning here. They're out there getting the lift line set up. They're spinning the lifts up. They're warming the soup in the kit. You know, it's like, and so their main job is not recruiting at this point. So what we found is there's a direct connection between our ability to fill a position and a hiring manager's timeliness in participation. And so we now measure delinquent hiring managers, um, and then we're after them so that they're doing what they need to do. Uh, so that's an example of a, of a lagging metric that we're focused on. I love it. And uh, do you share their metrics with them? Do they, do they know how they rate? The managers certainly know, as do the manager's boss and the manager's boss's boss. And um, it's made a, a remarkable difference in terms of our ability to staff. The other metric that we're really focused on from a leading perspective is actually upstream in the pipeline. Um, So we've done a ton of work around branding and recruitment marketing here. And the wonderful thing is that Vail Resorts resorts themselves are hugely recognizable brands. You yourself said Whistler Blackcomb. Love that place. Well, Whistler Blackcomb is a brand that many people are attracted to. And so how do we leverage that consumer brand in a recruitment brand kind of way. So we spent a ton of time uh, on this. So one of the leading metrics that we're looking at, remember the end goal is to get the hires on the mountains, right? But the leading metric is around our marketing. And so what's the top of our pipeline looking like? And how do we drive more volume, different volume, higher quality volume into the top of the funnel? Uh, And so along with our senior manager of recruitment marketing, we've built a dashboard that looks at things like um, visits, 
click-throughs, um, applications, application started, not finished. And at each point in that sort of funnel, we have metrics that allow us to measure the health of the pipeline and do something about it before it's too late and it gets to the bottom of the pipeline. Uh, so as an example, if someone um, starts an application but doesn't finish it, we grab that data and have our team follow up with those guys and say, oh, I noticed that you started, you didn't finish, how can we help you finish, what's your interest? Um, so what is an automated process, high volume process at the top, we let it do its thing, but then we also inject ourselves based on data to add a personal touch to help get conversion where we need it. And along those lines, so collecting all this data, analyzing it, using it to make decisions, and what I heard you al almost intimate is predictive analytics, kind of get it going in that direction. What still keeps you up at night? except for the snow report. Yeah, so this is something that um, we aspire to achieve but have not yet done, is the connection between employee experience and guest experience. So our mission, as I said, is experience of a lifetime, in that context, guest. But what we're really after is if we have our employees engaged in an experience of a lifetime of their own because they work here, then the chances are they're going to convey that to a guest. And so to answer your question, what is the connection between the experience an employee has with the experience that a guest has? Now we track guest experience data, as you would expect as a hospitality company, right? And we're starting to track employee experience data. How do we connect those two and what insights will we gain from that? So that's the holy grail that we're after. And then I would extrapolate that to candidate experience. So tell me how you're thinking about candidate experience in that context. Right, so um, candidate experience is of great importance to us, as, as, as you mentioned. And so we're, um, again, seasonal is different than corporate. And so we, we sort of have to think about this in, in a couple of different ways. But for the typical seasonal worker, um, it's all about, based on our research, um, lack of friction in the process. So how can I quickly, efficiently get through this process and get a job that I'm super excited about? So that's our main mission in the way we've designed the recruitment process. Um, and we still have a long ways to go on this, but that's the way we're thinking about it. And one um, change that we've made um, recently is to inject on-demand video interviewing into this process. Now, there's a trade-off there um, because on the one hand, as a recruiter, you know it's about relationship and it's about personal contact. And yes, that's true. On the other hand, again, for this type of a population, it's all about frictionless. So the advantage of on-demand is that the moment someone applies and hits submit, they're immediately invited to click on a link and take a video or have a video experience. And the way we position that is you have a chance to introduce yourself and your qualifications personally through this video interview. Yeah, it's automated, um, but we've standardized the questions and we've made it frictionless for them to do that. They don't have to wait for a call from a recruiter to say, hey, we saw your application, you know, we'd like to talk to you. No, you go ahead and take the next step and introduce yourself. So from a candidate experience perspective, that's frictionless. Now there's also an opt out 
So if someone strongly prefers to talk, we're certainly willing to do that. So we're trying to balance the best of both worlds between personal and, and frictionless. Um, and then so, so from there, recruiter picks up the recorded video interview on the back end and goes through the video interview and then makes a decision, is this somebody now I, I actually want to personally speak with or not? So that's one example of how we're trying to strip friction out of the seasonal process. I'm a huge video interview fan and have implemented it myself and I, I'm right there with you in terms of what a candidate wants more than anything is to tell their story. And if you're providing a friction-free option for them to tell their story, I love it. Also, then you've captured it and you have it on file and you can refer to it later. Um, additionally, you can provide it to the hiring manager, which in the case of serving your resorts, I would imagine that's a huge advantage because, you know, they're not physically in the office. They can't, see, you know, but they can see it electronically. So that's that's cool. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that and also any other technologies that you're a fan of for taking friction out. Well, so... Um, we talked a little bit about um, scheduling. So we don't have a technology yet. Um, but speaking about friction in the recruiting process, anybody who's ever been recruited knows how difficult it is to connect a candidate schedule with a hiring manager schedule or, in most cases, multiple hiring manager schedules. Um, potentially across time zones, potentially across geographies, and so um, a technology I'm hoping for is one that applies artificial intelligence to that very complex yet transactional component and friction-filled component uh, to enable us to streamline that as much as possible. I'm with you. Bring it on. <laughs> we, need, we need some uh, AI and or other technology to just take that scheduling thing away. Um, I, uh, I hope for the best here. Unconscious bias is a really popular subject lately for all kinds of good reasons. What's your thought? Uh, and, and this is put you, putting you on the spot a little bit, but I know you're, you, you'll rise to the occasion. What's your thought on why so many recruiters are women, but so few recruiting leaders are women? Yeah, it, it comes back to the concept of friction. That I think the friction around career growth for a woman is different than friction for a man. And in many cases, heroes like you, uh, like Melissa McMahon, uh, and others exactly have have by dogged determination overcome that friction whether intentional or not um, and so I mean it's hard for anyone to rise to a level of leadership that we're talking about here but I think it's especially difficult for women because of this friction in society in unconscious bias or conscious bias as we're learning more and more about right um, now, my own personal experience is that both at Accenture and also here, um, people have, have tried really hard to minimize that friction as much as possible, but there's still pockets of it. And I'm encouraged by the dialogue that's now going on. Um, and there have been, I think, um, steps forward, but the pace is not what it needs to be. And what I tell my own 16-year-old daughter is, you're going to face some of these challenges, and you have to expect them and not be frustrated by them, but take them on as a personal challenge and overcome them and make good choices. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're uncomfortable, then don't stay there. Then make a different choice because there are companies and there are employers out there that are taking this very seriously and want to make a difference. But 
it still comes back to friction. I think that's exactly right. It's a that's a great um, metaphor, and I think it actually holds in pretty much all the applications of unconscious bias. So thank you for that. What advice would you give to an ambitious recruiter who aspires to be a recruiting leader in the future? And of course, they're not there yet. They don't have the experience yet, but they want to be. It's a goal of theirs. What advice would you give them? Well, this will be colored by my own experience, but the first advice is, and this really applies to anybody, not just a recruiter, but um, develop skills and understanding in as many areas as possible. Um, be curious. Seek to answer the question, why? Well, why do we do it that way? Or why is that important? Or what's the connection between A and B? Be curious and explore. Ultimately, over time, then add to that general knowledge and be known for something. And that's the part that may be harder because you don't know what that is early on in your career. But my advice is to become sampler, to be curious, to try lots of different things, and then over time be known for something. So, for example, um, as a recruiter, you may want to spend time as a junior recruiter learning sourcing. You may then want to join an RPO and learn what it's like to be part of a process-driven, metrics-driven sort of operation. You may want to do some corporate recruiting. You may want to do some hourly recruiting. Um, you may even want to do some HR. <gasps> Did I say that? Exactly, right? But, but that's the concept around having a broad interest and curiosity and try a lot of different things. No matter what you ultimately end up choosing, those will all add to your understanding of the way business works and then ultimately become known for something. And so in your experience, Aaron, I know, um, you know, oh, you gotta call Aaron, right? I know this person who's an expert in this field, you gotta call Aaron, so people call you, right? That is ultimately, I think, what we're after as professionals is, yeah, somebody call me. Well, and there's a, there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction when you sort of arrive at a place where you feel competent in one or more things, and then you, you, you just continue and you learn more. And there's, of course, never enough hours in the day to learn everything you want to learn. Well, David, this has been an absolute delight. Um, I, of course, didn't get through all of my questions. I'm curious. I have more questions, but time is always too short. Um, is there anything else you wanted to make sure that we know about you or your career or your you know personal um the 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 personal side of of your life what, what you know what what else would be helpful uh before we finish up well it's really been my pleasure Aaron. it's great to reconnect and thanks for the opportunity i'm going to take a risk here there is one thing that many people will sort of react to as bizarre but it helps me so maybe it'll help someone else so and you point this out time is precious um so a little technique that I've developed over time is um, all of us have to eat. Well, so what I do is every Sunday afternoon or evening, I prepare my breakfasts and lunches for the work week uh, and get them knocked out so that Monday morning comes, I grab my bag out of the refrigerator and I'm off. And I don't have to stop and think, oh, what am I going to have for breakfast? I have to eat breakfast. Um, and so it's kind of bizarre, um, but um, it is a way for me to both control what I eat when I'm not starving and hopefully retain a semblance of health and also be more efficient because it solves. I don't have to worry about that anymore. So I do that the, the, the weekend before and then 
you know, I wake up, I go to the gym, I've got my, my breakfast and my lunch with me, I come into the office, I have my breakfast, I put my lunch in the fridge, and I'm done. And so I can have a productive, um, efficient day, uh, and then not have to worry about it when I get home at night either. <laughs> so just a little efficiency um, that I have built into my life, and um, so that's, that's the tip of the day. I love the tip of the day. And it, it kind of goes back to the really the start of our conversation in that there are some things in our control, some things out of our control. The things that are in our control, nothing wrong with controlling them and making them a non-factor so that you have the freedom and the energy to manage what is not in your control, right? I love that. All right, thank you for that. Oh boy, I gotta figure out how to implement that now. Oh, but actually it's not that hard. Also, I'll just add to it, I've known you for 25 years. You are one of the most organized people I have ever met. And when it comes to preparing for things and being prepared for things, you are the you're the gold standard. So now I know one of the secrets to that. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, David. Well, that's it from David Reed of Vale Resorts. He's easily in my top five of people I admire in business and life. And if you didn't know why, now you do. My next episode will be released in about four weeks, and while I can't tell you yet who I'm interviewing, let's just say she's a big, big fish in the talent pool, and you're going to love hearing what she has to say about all the hot topics in talent. My thanks to Todd Raphael and the ERE team and my tribe at People Results, especially Patty Johnson and Carolyn Boucher, without whom this podcast would not exist. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.